Our reading today continues in the first letter of John, beginning with chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. The Word of the Lord. Now, we're continuing our series through 1 John, and just to remind you where we've been, uh, just quickly. Um, so, 1 John is a letter written by the Apostle John uh, to the churches that had sprung up all around, uh, you know, all around where they've travelled and they've shared God's Word, there were these churches planted. And uh, what we saw last week is that what was happening as this... Um, you know, as these churches kind of matured and grew a bit older, is that these false teachers had started coming into the church and they started teaching a doctrine that was contrary to what the apostles preached. And obviously this is a problem. And so John is writing this letter to these churches to say, no, you shouldn't be listening to these false teachers. You should stick to the teaching of the apostles. This is what, you know, we were there. We were with Jesus. We saw him. He taught us and he gave us the specific task uh, and special authority, actually, to proclaim and to write down um, what is true from God. And so if you want to have fellowship with God, you need, to, uh, you need to have fellowship with the apostles. That is to stay true to the teaching the apostles gave us. And so that's where we ended last week. Now, um, that sort of acts as an introduction to John's letter overall. And so today we're seeing this theme of sticking to the teaching of the apostles being developed a bit. Now, what is the teaching? What is the message that John wants these people to hold on to? Well, in these few verses that we read today, John gives us a glimpse of what it means to really be a Christian. What he says in the verses we just read is really the core of the gospel in a couple of verses. And it is kind of a wonderfully complete version of uh, what we are to believe if we are to have friendship and fellowship with God. And so what is this message, this teaching that we should hold on to? Well, it is this, that God is light, which basically means that He's perfectly holy, that He illuminates, you know, all spiritual things and so on, but He's totally set apart from the world. Secondly, that we can't walk with God because we are in darkness, we are sinners, right? We, sin is a darkness in this metaphor, and so because God is light, darkness cannot be in His presence. But... 
Point three, we can walk with God if we are cleansed by Jesus' blood as the atoning sacrifice, as the, the one who washes us clean. And this then results in a holy life. You know, John writes, he says that I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. That's literally his purpose. And so we are empowered by Jesus' constant work as our advocate in heaven to live this new holy life. And so that's kind of the outline of the passage and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So the first thing we see then is that God is light. Now, what does it mean when the Apostle John says that God is light? Now, to understand this, we really have to start thinking like John thinks. Um, he is, uh, is actually quite theological in his writings. If you read his Gospels, so the, the book of John, and these letters, 1, 2, and 3, John, and then uh, Revelation, he often presents God as, the, uh, you know, or Jesus through this light metaphor. And the way John writes throughout his writings is he's kind of presenting this cosmic dualism, if you like. There's the light side and the dark side. He structures his thoughts, you know, like George Lucas does, you know, in Star Wars. There's good Jedi and evil dark Sith Lords and so on. The light side belongs to God. God himself is light. On the light side are all the things that belong to God. There's goodness, there's love, there's life and so on. And on the other side is the dark side, the evil side. This is, um, he writes that the world actually belongs to this dark side of, uh, of this cosmic dualism. So God's side is the good side, the light side, and this is where truth and life is. And then the dark side is the bad stuff, evil, lies and death. And that's kind of under Satan's domain. Now, it's for this reason that when John writes his gospel, uh, you know, the book of John, uh, he opens it this way. He says um, about Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. He's right, using this light metaphor. And the light shines into the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And so he's writing that the world is in this, this dark, shadowy kind of realm. It's a spiritual reality where we cannot see the good stuff because we're stumbling around in darkness. Um, like Michael, you know, you can't find the rose because it's dark, you can't see. And then when Jesus comes into the world, he, he brings light and all of a sudden the spiritual realities are being revealed to all. He says in, in uh, John 1 verse 9, he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He writes about Jesus as this kind of torch, if you like, that brings light into the dark world. And so the world is stumbling in darkness and Jesus comes to light, the, you know, to light up the, the world. And then, at the end of the Bible, as John writes the book of Revelation, once all evil is finally destroyed, uh, the picture that he gives us in Revelation chapter 21, uh, verse 22 and on, he says, um, he's, he's got this picture of, of what heaven's like once evil is defeated. And he says of this city, I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And then he says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will, will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And so again, there's this picture that God himself, who is light, provides this glorious light that forevermore illuminates the city. That's not a... Um, 
I don't think that's meant to be taken literally. He's using the same kind of metaphor that there is no evil, there is no darkness there uh, because God is light. And when you think about it, the fact that God is light is actually a very good metaphor for God. Because what is light? Well, biblically, light is the first thing that God created in the universe. And in the end, it's the thing that powers and enables everything. Everything from the seats you're sitting on to the food we eat, ultimately, uh, is a result of light. You know, the light we have here on earth from the sun is the source of all our energy. It gives power to the plants that produce our food, or produce the food for the things that produce our food. Uh, It's what sustains the earth. It's the thing that makes sure that we have oxygen to breathe, actually. It's the thing that warms up our planet and keeps the water, you know, water, not ice. Our food, our electricity, our cars, our roads, our buildings ultimately rely on this light which God has created uh, as the thing to power it. Without light, in fact, everything stops and dies. And God is a little bit like that. He upholds this world with his hand. But not only does light provide uh, the power uh, to power the world, it also shows us things that are hidden, you know. Darkness flees from light. The two cannot coexist in the same place. Even in the darkest of dark rooms, if you put on a tiny little candle, the darkness will flee. And so when, when John says that God is light, he's making a very significant point. He's saying that, you know, you, you just cannot coexist, uh, so God cannot coexist with darkness. And that becomes the starting point of John sharing the, the core of this gospel message. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him at all. He's the one who powers and sustains life. He's the source of everything that is living, all that is good. But badness, darkness, death, disease, all of these things are totally opposite to God. God does not suffer them to be in his presence. And darkness flees before God. And so he gives us this metaphor that God is light. And then from this theological understanding of God's nature as the light one, John then gives us three direct applications that I want to spend some time on this morning. Application one is that because we are sinful, we are walking in darkness and therefore we cannot walk with God. So because we're sinful, we are in darkness and therefore we can't be in God's presence, right? If God's light and we're in the dark, that doesn't mix. And so John says this in a couple of places and the way he structures his, uh, this passage is he gives a negative, then he gives a positive, then he gives a negative, then he gives a positive. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bunch together the negatives, then we're going to bunch together the positives um, and then we'll see what he means. And so the, the negative things he says here is in verse uh, 6, if we say we have fellowship with God and yet we walk in the darkness, we're lying, we're not practicing the truth, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so John wants us to understand, friends, our condition before God. We are people walking around in darkness. 
But in order for us to walk in the light, we actually need to come to grips with our actual present reality. John's point is actually very simple. If you want a relationship with God, if you want to walk with God, you have to walk in the light. But the first step to walking into the light is to kind of admit that you have a darkness problem. Now, of course, this is Christianity 101, right? This is, you know, the part of just the standard gospel. It's something we hear in Sunday school. It's pretty basic to the Christian understanding that our core issue that we have, all of us have, is that we have sin. We live in sin. We, we need to confess our sin. That's part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. But John adds a particular emphasis here that I think we need to pay attention to. He means for us to understand how totally against God's nature our sinful state is. As different as darkness is from the light, so far are we from God. This year we spent some time looking at the... um, sort of the core reform doctrines, you know, total depravity, unconditional election and so on. This is the doctrine of total depravity. We are totally different from God because of our sinful state. And as, as darkness does not mix with light, so too, so far are we from God. We, we actually just cannot be in His presence. And I think John's application could well have been made in our day. Because what John does here is he, is he shows us the temptations that people have to kind of deal with this reality that they are so far from God's perfection, from His light that has absolutely no darkness in it, that they, that they you know, we try to do something about that. We try to deal with this. And what are the ways that we deal with this? Well, in verse 10, what is he saying? there's a denial that we've sinned in the past. If we say we have not sinned, then we are making him out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. So one of the ways in which we we pretend it's not as bad is we just deny that our, our past sins. That was in the past. I was a different person. That's not who I am. And I think that's a temptation. The second temptation is in verse 8, which is denying our current state of sin. If we say we don't sin... Uh, then, you know, we're not being truthful. Is that not a temptation for you and me every day? It's not really that bad, is it? Or, more shockingly, verse 6, where we started. We're saying we have a relationship with Jesus, but then we go on to live a sinful, darkness kind of life. It is to claim that we have a relationship with Jesus and yet to continue to pursue the sinful things we know we ought not to. John has a very stark message for us. He says, when you are doing that, you are not practicing the truth. You're lying, actually, when you say, I have a relationship with the Lord and yet we continue to walk in the darkness. That's pretty confronting, right? And the deep issue here is, friends, we think that because, you know, because we're sort of Western modern thinkers, we're not first century Jewish thinkers, we believe that truth is something that we think or believe. 
right? Truth is something you know. It's kind of this cognitive mental thing. But what John is saying here is that truth is not just a doctrine to be believed or to understand. It's not kind of mental assent that, yes, it's true that Jesus died on, on the cross for me. Truth is something you need to live out of, to practice, he says. We're not practicing the truth if we say we have a relationship with Jesus and continue to walk in the darkness. To be truly walking with God is to embody what it means to have a relationship with Him, to live according to the calling which we have received. As we mentioned, next week we're going to uh, celebrate the profession of faith of two young people here in our, in our church. And they're going to get up here on stage and they're going to tell us that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, that He died for them, that He is who the Bible says He is. And what John would say here is that when you profess that, when you say that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, then your life needs to match up to that. You need to walk in the light. Because truly having a relationship with Christ will always, 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 always result in a changed life. There will be fruit. That's how you live in the truth. But to do that, we must first recognise that our life, from conception, through infancy, through adolescence, through young adulthood, to wherever you're up to now, has been characterised by the fact that we are sinful people and we need help. We don't walk in the light. We haven't when we were little. We don't do it today and we will not do it in the future unless God intervenes in our hearts. We need to recognise that and admit to that. And oh my goodness, friends, do we need help. Because my heart is so wicked that even in admitting that we have sin, we want to downplay it. We want to cover it up. You know, we want to deny our past. We want to reject our present. We want to pretend that really we're fine. We have a relationship with Jesus when we really just keep on walking in darkness. Do we not need help? You and I need to admit that God is light, but that we walk in the darkness. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story, right? Because the second application is kind of all the positive stuff. And that is that we are washed by Jesus' blood. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus the Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do you see what's hap what happens here? The issue is that uh, as being our human nature, is to walk in the darkness. We want to cover up our sins, either by denying they existed or uh, pretending they don't exist right now or pretending we don't have an issue. But really, there is an alternative, and this is what walking in the light means. The alternative to walking in darkness is to confess our sin, which then results in walking in light. But you can't do the walking in light thing unless you get through the confessing of sin part. We must come before the Lord and say, Lord, I have a problem. I need help. I want to walk with you, but I don't. 
I have sinned in the past, I've sinned every day and I try to cover it up and pretend it's fine but I know I'm not walking in the truth. Will you help me? Because, O oh Lord, I want to walk in the truth. So I confess that I am a sinner. Help me. Clean me. Make me the kind of person who walks in your glorious light so that my profession of faith can match up to my life. Have you done that, friend? Will you do that today? Because when we do, the Lord is faithful to forgive us our sins. Right? That's what John says. When we do that, our sort of state of being in darkness is removed. We've voluntarily brought the darkness we have into the light of God. Because here's the thing, when we confess our sins, we are always forgiven, right? When we truly are sorry for them, when we confess them to God, He will always forgive them. God is making a promise to you here that He is faithful and that He is righteous and that He is not going to let the work of Jesus Christ on the cross go to waste on your account if you confess your sin. There is no sin so great that it cannot be brought into God's light. And there is no darkness so dark that the light cannot shine in it. And nothing you have ever done can undo the work of Jesus on the cross. God is faithful and he will not let Jesus' work go to, cross, uh, to the cross go to waste. That is why he came after all, to shed his blood precisely for this. The Father sent Jesus the Son as an atonement, as an offering, as a thing to cover us for our sin. And he is not unfaithful. He would be unfaithful if we came and confessed our sins and then he wouldn't forgive it, right? But he's not going to withhold the grace that has been promised to all of those who would come to him and ask for forgiveness. So if you confess your sin, which in this letter means to come to God and to acknowledge that you constantly walk in darkness but you want to walk in the light with him, Always, 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 he will forgive you because Jesus has already paid for your sins. Isn't that wonderful? Now, if you are a thinking person, this immediately presents a problem. What happens if I don't confess my sins before I die? Is John saying here that Every day I should come before God in prayer and come and confess my sins, all the wrongdoing I've done today, to be washed again today. You know, is that why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer tells us that we should pray, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Do we kind of incur a sin debt throughout the day that we have to deal with through our prayers, like a you know, like a blackboard where God writes down each sin every time we sin and then when we come to confess, we quickly we wipes it out, you know, the board is made clean again. Is that what John is teaching here? It's a very Roman Catholic idea. We have to take our sins to the priest, right, and confess them. That's not what John is saying. That is to misunderstand him, actually. It's not that 
the confession itself has some sort of magical ritualistic spell or something that can expunge the sin from the blackboard that's the confession itself doesn't do anything it's the faithfulness of the one to whom you are confessing that does the work you have to come to that realization that it is jesus's blood that washes you that's the thing that wipes the sin away not the act of confession itself the wiping away doesn't get reapplied to us each day every time we come to pray to God and, uh, for our sins. Jesus is a sacrifice offered once for all, right? His blood washes us clean from the cross and we're covered by that blood when we come to God to recognize that, we, uh, you know, that we've been walking in darkness. But that means that our sin is forgiven once and for all if we accept the reality that we need to be forgiven, that we need to be cleansed. And if we truly confess, you only do that once, right? That's a state of the heart. That's not a physical action you necessarily have to do every time you've, you've come to sin. Now, I want to hasten to add that it's actually really helpful spiritually. It's a healthy practice to, at the end of each day, just examine your life, right? Where have I done well? Where has the Holy Spirit shown me that I need to do better? to confess those places that we failed before God and to recognize that we haven't lived according to his standard and to ask forgiveness for those things and to live out of a, you know, sort of a fresh sense that we are forgiven. That's really healthy spiritually, but that's not what John is teaching here. It's not necessary for you, as you're about to crash into a car and die, to quickly send up a prayer, forgive me, you know, just in case. That's not how that works. If you died in a car crash before you were able to say sorry for the particular sins you died that day, probably including the expletives you're yelling as you go, um, you are still covered by Jesus' blood because you've come to accept the free gift of grace he offers for sinners like you and me. The act of confession isn't magic. The one to whom you are confessing is the one who can forgive your sins. That's the important part. So, we've seen that God is light. We've seen that because we are sinners and walking in darkness, we actually can't be in God's presence as the, as the light in our natural state. But because Jesus has died for us, shedding his blood, everyone who does come to confess their sin... Uh, and genuinely ask for God's forgiveness, has their sin forgiven through Jesus' work on the cross. That, that's what we've seen. Now, so what? This is the last part, and I'll finish with this just shortly. Now, because of all of those three things, God is light, we are darkness, we can't be in the light, but if we are cleansed by Jesus' blood, then what? Point four, then we can walk in the light, actually. We can walk with God spurred on by Jesus' constant work for us even today. I read here from chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. 
So the Apostle John here tells us exactly why he's telling us these things. Why? So that we may not sin. Now one of the biggest difficulties I think that we have as Reformed Christians is that our theology of God's grace, His free gift in Jesus Christ is right. I think that's really difficult. I think that causes problems. But we are right about that. And the problem is, because we are right about that, we end up doing wrong sometimes. We, are so, we so properly and correctly understand how free the gift of God's grace is that we've received, we come, we receive by faith. We know that's not because we're so wonderful or because of anything good that we've done. We can't earn God's forgiveness. We understand that, we know that, um, and that's great. We know that our salvation depends entirely on God's grace. and It's this totally undeserved gift that He gives in faith to whomever he wants. We get that. But because we get that, it can lead to us feeling like we have no responsibility now for how we live. I can just live however I want because after all, it's not really up to me anyway, right? That is the temptation. Paul himself writes about this temptation in Romans chapter 7 and 8, I think. Why can't we just keep on sinning so that grace may, may um, uh, you know, get more and more? If Jesus died for my sins and God elected me and that doesn't depend on me, it doesn't really change how I live my life, right? That's what can happen. But not so, says John. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. It is precisely because we have been forgiven that we now have a responsibility to walk in the light, as God is in the light. To live for Him, to give up our sinful ways, and, as John puts, puts it, to not sin. We actually have that responsibility. God, who is light, He's given us this moral law that we are to uphold. He has given us rights and wrongs and expects us to live according to these rights and wrongs. Because that's how He set up the universe. And when we sin, it inevitably hurts us. And so because our sins have been forgiven, because we have this um, advocate in heaven who is constantly interceding for us, because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we can actually live a renewed life. We can do our utmost to live for Him, to walk in the light. Is this you? Is this me? Is this how we organize our lives? When you and I are faced with a decision, is the question we ask, is this walking with God in the light? What would God have me do? You know, today we've got an AGM. When we answer the AGM questions, whatever they may be, is this what God would have me do? If I go this direction, am I walking with God in the light? Am I, am I following where He's lit the path? Am I following His moral law as revealed in Scripture? If I go that direction, am I choosing to walk in darkness? Schoolies has just finished, right? Uh, this great celebration at the end of year 12. How am I going to act when I get to schoolies? Will I walk in the light with God in what is realistically a very dark place? 
or will I join in the darkness all around me? When I need to make a decision about what career I will choose, will I pursue that on the basis of where I can bring the most light to the world as a child of light? Or will I follow the job that pays the most, which often, not always, but often involves dabbling in the darkness? John says, I'm writing these things to you, my dear children, so that you may not sin, so that you may walk in the light, because your sins have been forgiven. Now, if we do sin, accidentally or even on purpose, Jesus is currently in heaven interceding for us. That's a wonderful and a good thing. But really, this letter is written to us to help us to walk in the light. God is light. We are sinners in darkness, but when we confess our sins and are washed by Jesus' blood, then we are forgiven. And so now we can walk in the light with God. And so are you, I think is John's question. My dear children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this gospel message in only a couple of verses where we see the reality of the darkness within us. We pray that you will convict us of that, perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the hundredth time, again today. Help us to wrestle with who we really are deep down. Help us to see that there is a different way that you are light and that there is goodness and life and sustaining power that way. Help us to confess that we need your help. Oh Lord, will you help us? We thank you that you are faithful, that when we confess our sins, that you are faithful and will forgive us for all unrighteousness. We thank you that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that we are washed clean by his blood. And as a result, Lord, may we truly now walk in the light and live for you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.